Ladies and gentlemen. Pacific Town Sound Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm James. And I'm Travis. And welcome to Pacific Sound Radio. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we're all about local music, and we aim to provide a platform for all the weird and wonderful bands and artists that make up the Vancouver music scene to share their stories, songs, and unique personalities. This week, we have Victoria-based musician and producer Lee Gautier joining us for Pacific Sound Profile. Then our featured guest is soul singer-songwriter Crystal Dos Santos. For this week's installment of Pacific Sound Profile, we are joined by Lee Gautier. Lee is a musician and producer currently playing bass for the Victoria-based indie pop band Bridal Party. His production credits include releases by... Buchan Buchan. Uh, Bushan Bushan. Bushan Bushan, thank you. This Day Burns, Bright Boy, Hands Mole, Thrift Shopper, and The Blackwood Kings. His solo material has involved the use of a sound plane music controller, a robotic vibraphone, and the digital music platforms including Ableton Live and Max MSP. Lee is also a software developer for the music sharing site Bandcamp. Please welcome Lee, Go- Lee Gauthier. Hey. Hey, how's it going? Uh, great. Just enjoying a beautiful Sunday in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, so what's your background in music and production? I understand you took the music and computer science program at the University of Victoria. Uh, yeah, totally. I, uh, well, I've been playing, uh, guitar, basically anything, for, uh, years and years. Played tuba, saxophone, uh, played around with stand-up bass, and at some point, uh, when I was finishing up high school, I was like, what should I go and do with my life? So I was sort of torn between going to like graphic design or doing something else. And yeah, some uh, people came around for UVic and like just on a brochure that I saw, they had this like music computer science program. And I thought, oh, hey, that's like cool. And it's a real university. I should apply for that. And yeah, ended up in Victoria doing this kind of weird program. And uh, how long were you there? Um, I probably took like six, six and a half years to finish that up, but, uh, I did a lot of, uh, you know, working and co-ops and stuff in between, uh, worked for a lot of different startup companies in Victoria in between going to school and... For your co-op work, were you doing anything, like, related to, um, related to your degree? Like, were you doing, uh, like, audio engineering and production and stuff like that? Uh, no, all the co-op work was mostly uh, software startups. Uh, one of them was doing like a CMS platform type thing for video sharing, basically like uh, Vimeo, but for, for private corporations. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, my first sort of uh, music industry related job was uh, um, getting on with Bandcamp after I graduated. Good stuff. I understand uh, you also studied digital signal processing. Uh, what did that program entail, and what is digital signal processing uh, exactly? Yeah. It's very hard to say. It, DSP is DSP, uh, there much we go. easier. Yeah. We're going to go with that. Um, yeah, just uh, when I was in school, I was really interested in uh, you know synthesizers and audio plugins and how all that stuff actually worked. Uh, so 
basically like the DSP stuff is like the internals of how you would build uh, an equalizer for Pro Tools or like, you know, build up uh, uh, different synthesizers. So like I um, played around like low level with uh, sort of your standard analog modeling synthesizers. Uh, granular is always a favorite um, and some spectral stuff using like phase vocoders and uh, yeah, it's all good, fun stuff that makes really weird noises if you want it to. So I guess because I'm just trying to get my mind around that, uh, was it a combination of like computer work and hands-on, like actual tinkering with the machinery, or was it one or one or the other? Uh, yeah, most of that, like uh, most of that's just like software work. Okay, right. So you're just um, doing the math to uh, actually make all of these sounds and and process the audio that you're recording. It's interesting stuff. Uh, do you still have some of those programs that you use to create music on your own? Uh, these days I don't because there's, um, at least since I was doing it, a lot of people who have um, came in and sort of made like stuff that was essentially what I was shooting for and trying to make. Uh, so there's a company down in Seattle called uh, Madrona Labs, and they do a couple soft synths. Um, Alto and Kaivo. Um, one is sort of hitting like West Coast synthesis, Buchla kind of noises. Um, and the other one is uh, sort of physical modeling, cross granular uh, synthesizer. Um, both, all, all things that I was toying around with, but um, Randy, who runs that company, sort of made like the ultimate version. So I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find someone who did it better, why not use theirs, right? Um, you have some solo material available online, and in one of the videos that you shared with me before uh, went on the air, uh, you used a SoundPlane digital music controller along with Ableton Live and Max MSP music programs to operate a robotic vibraphone. Uh, where did the inspiration for this project come from, and how does a contraption like that even operate? Uh, yeah, so um, the SoundPlane uh, is actually like another um, Randy Jones invention from Madrona Labs. Uh, he used to be a grad student at uh, UVic, and essentially it's uh, a continuous pitch sound controller. So you can imagine kind of like a violin where each uh, row is uh, a different string, and where you press on it gives you a different pitch, mm -hmm. but it's... Uh, generally not quantized so like you can get all of the notes in between if you want to um so and, like the microtones and yeah stuff? exactly interesting you get all your microtones and so how many because you know i was watching the video it looks it's very it's an interesting looking device because it literally just looks like a rectangular square block uh how many uh I'm not sure if you call them strings, but how many like pitch zones are there on the block itself? Yeah, so it has um, five five rows. Okay. Um, and each row is like two or three octaves. I'm like, yeah, three octaves, I think. Um, and I usually tune it in fourths, like a bass, but you could do fifths or whatever else you want between rows. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And yeah. uh, um, I guess how did the how did you how how were you able to manipulate the vibraphone through that? Like, how did how exactly did that work? Uh, yeah, so basically there's this um, big box that has um, an Arduino inside of it um, hooked up to a bunch of different outputs um, that basically just send signals to cause all of these mallets to just fire off when you send signals to them. 
Um, so a lot of the work I was doing there with Max MSP was to take um, what I was doing on the sound plane and translating that into signals that caused the different uh, vibraphone mallets to hit. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And just like connecting those three, really those three different things together in a way where it would sequence properly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like the one problem that you always have when doing uh, r like literal robotic music is that it takes some time for uh, the mallet to actually hit the key. So you send it the signal and then it happens sometimes, sometime afterwards, depending on how high the mallet is. Uh, there's always uh, a delay. Yeah, exactly. And so I found uh, when you're working with that kind of stuff, it really pays to be writing and composing music that um, is a little bit more textural. So these time delays don't matter as much. Like I wouldn't want to be doing something where with really, really pr precise percussion. Or you wouldn't want to be like shredding on it and it's just like sounding really washed out and, and delayed and what have you. Yeah, totally. I don't even know how that would work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to listen to that kind of stuff, Square Pusher had an album called Music for Robots, which is like a bunch of solenoids hooked up to guitars and drums and stuff, and it's uh, as insane as anything else Square Pusher has put out. Um, yeah. What's a solenoid exactly? Uh, oh, a so sorry, a solenoid is just the uh, um, little... It's like a piston, an electronic piston um, that... Uh, you can turn on and off, and when it's on, it pushes the piston out and hits a fret on a guitar oh, or causes okay. it to strum, yeah. Oh, interesting. So it's li like essentially robotic piston fingers. Exactly, huh. and you put like 40 of them on a guitar neck, and you can play like 30-second notes at like 500 beats a minute. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I wonder if that's how uh, Dragon Force <laughs> recorded their albums they just got one of those maybe yeah <laughs> i mean that would solve the problem i guess because there's controversy in kind of some of the prog like tech shredding culture about bands that record each note individually and then string them all together so i guess that might be another approach it's like no we literally don't even play it that yeah i mean <laughs> if you listen to the square pusher one it's kind of like that there's just like these insane arpeggios and for maybe the first five minutes of the song dissolver you're like yeah someone could play this and then eventually it just keeps getting more and more overboard it's a point where like a human's fingers literally could not move that fast <laughs> yeah exactly i'm not i'm sure if you're familiar with uh black midi but it's this idea where you have these uh midi editors and you just shove in so many notes that the computer starts to to glitch um and it's it kind of sounds like that's what square pusher is doing where he's just having these solenoids go so fast that they just can't even keep it together which is uh yeah kind of fun so it's like the the frank zappa composition the black page but in computer form yeah and uh computers can go a lot a lot faster before they start uh giving up <laughs> That's that, yeah. It's very interesting. It's like no, I want to push it to the point where the computer stops working properly. <laughs> wow. Um, so, what is it about sound manipulation that inspires you as an artist? Um, I just like weird noises. Honestly, I think um, uh, maybe just spending too much time like thinking about John Cage's work and stuff, um, where anything can be music. Um, and yeah, being able to create new sounds, whether or not people find them pleasant, I think is, uh, I don't know, I find them, find them pleasant. Uh, 
And Vancouver is a great place to do it because the city has a really long history with um, soundscape composition in general. Um, yeah, there's a there's a decent underground community of drone artists. I think uh, when I used to write for Discorder, I did like a three pack review where I reviewed like three different EPs by three separate drone artists on the same label. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned Square Pusher and you mentioned John Cage. Are there any other uh, specific electronic noise ambient artists that have influenced your approach to music production and composition? Uh, I mean, uh, definitely. A lot of my background uh, comes from like the more uh, classical things. Uh, so like Zanakis or Stockhausen, and then moving into like Aphex Twin and stuff like that. I uh, so it's that's like a jump. Kind of, yeah, well, I mean... That 300-year jump? Oh, not 300 years. Well, but. yeah, 50 years or something. Yeah. I mean, they were alive at the same time, and one time someone compared Stockhausen's music to uh, Aphex Twin, and Stockhausen gaffed and said, how could you compare my music to this, like... <laughs> how dare you! Post-African, um, uh, like, repetitive rhythms or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> That's funny. No, it's just like the monocle pop moment. Yeah. It's like, I am an artist. Exactly. I'm not a, I'm not a knob twister. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also like um, uh, like Morton Sabotnik and that like early modular stuff I think is really cool. He's still making great music today. Yeah. I, I need to check out more of that stuff, especially John Cage. I've heard he's one of those uh, seminal figures. Yeah, um, he, I don't know, one, like, an example of just destroying sound uh, from, like, John Cage is the idea of a prepared piano where um, you take a piano and you shove a bunch of stuff in the strings and each note now has a different timbre and so the compositions around, like, arranging these timbres and loosely pitched things almost like a, a kalimba or, like, um, African percussion. That's um, super interesting. Let's see. Oh, okay. Sorry, I just got a notification from our producer. Uh, we're all good. Um, I guess in regards to your compositions, uh, you actually received uh, an award for one of the ones that you had worked on uh, at UVic. Um, I'll give the give listeners a little bit of background here. The Echo Awards are held annually by the Music and Computer Science Program at UVic, and you won the 2015 award for your rendition of the classic Beatles song, Norwegian Wood. I have to say it's a very bold move, taking on a band as iconic and as important as the Beatles. Uh, what led you to pick that song, and what was your experience like reworking it into something new? Um, yeah, so um, that song there actually um, uh, was one that... Uh, me and my f uh, friend Joe um, from Bridal Party uh, played in an old band, and uh, I, I figured that uh, I wanted to do something that was a cover so we didn't have to compose a completely new song, and that one we already kind of made a little bit weird. The time signature's a bit different. There's an added bar and stuff, so it seemed like a good sort of base to, to start with, to, to build up and do something interesting with. Yeah, and uh, listening to it, I thought you did a, a pretty good job. It's one of my easily one of my favorite uh, Beatles songs. Yeah, um, that was another thing. Is Norwegian Wood has just been my favorite Beatles song oh, forever. There you go. So, yeah, and it's not one of those ones that 
you hear nearly as often as some of their other material, which is another thing. I mean, the Beatles have so many good songs. Yeah, I mean, basically everything except for, like, a, a few choice ones that I'm not going to name. But Yeah, well, they, they may or may not be on the White Album. <clears throat> um, let's see here. Uh, how did you get into music production, and what's your approach walking into a new project? Uh, yeah, so, like, uh, in high school, I decided I wanted to make techno music, basically, or something like that. I'd been playing guitar, so I did what most teenagers in the uh, early 2000s would do, which is pirate a copy of uh, Fruity Loops and just uh, start making music. Uh, and yeah, I didn't really listen to techno, so I had like this caricature of what techno would be. And so I made a lot of uh, bad music like that for years. It was great. Um, and then in university, um, uh, I sort of did a lot of synth pop stuff, mostly just working with uh, my friends, whoever happened to be my roommate at the time. Um, and then sort of started taking it a little bit more serious towards the end of my degree. I um, took a course which was sort of like this this process almost. It was like a um, recording course, but what was beautiful about it is um, it was kind of expected that you knew a lot about microphone placements, about editing, about the software. And the course really dug into the process of starting from from zero and systematically building it up until you have something complex. Hmm. Um, and that's actually um, where I worked on this Norwegian wood thing was in uh, that course. Um, and during that, I started working more with like uh, live instruments and just trying to, to get sounds and put it together and start from the beginning and build up something like really big and, and complete, I think was the important part because uh, it's just, you know, getting the first few ideas down is pretty easy, but then sticking with it until you have something that you actually want to share with people is, uh, is tough. So when it comes to that approach, is that something that you do with every artist that you work with where like, do you ask them to like really strip down the song and then build it back up? Um, you can do that. Um, it really depends what you're going for. Um, sometimes if it's like simpler music, you kind of just want to record it as is, right? Um, uh, with Bridal Party, we often just, uh, you know, start with drums and um, build it up and uh, sort of record what we would play live as like our initial version. And then mm -hmm. the big thing that we're, we're thinking about and working on, especially for this new album, is... Uh, the orchestration, so um, how all of the instruments work together without without getting clustered and lost and fighting with each other. And I find like one thing that bands tend to do a lot um, is be really heavy on mid-range elements. And so you know all the guitars are in the same range, the bass is playing up high, the drums are all sort of there, and it just creates a big big mess. So we're always thinking about how we can move guitar parts around, have them in different octaves and um, existing in a different space. Yeah, and that actually ties into a, a question I was uh, wanted to ask. Uh, when did you join Bridal Party and what has your experience been like not only playing with the band but also producing the band's music? Totally. So um, essentially the um, genesis of Bridal Party uh, was 
Uh, me and my buddy Joe used to play in a band together for a few years. Um, when that dissolved, he ended up going off and playing with another um, band in Victoria where he met um, Suze Radishal, who's our uh, other singer in Bridal Party. And through that project, they became uh, really good friends and wanted to do just like a uh, splitty piece singer-songwriter thing. And uh, Joe knew that I was doing the music production stuff. We'd played in bands for a long time, so he was like, hey, do you want to just produce this really simple album for me? And I was like, he's like, maybe you can play bass on it or something, and like we'll make it a little bit bigger. And I was like, oh, well, yes, sure, that sounds fun. I got a, a buddy who plays keys. Um, why don't we just like, you know, do five pop songs? And he's like, okay, that sounds fun. So we started the recording process and um, came up with these five songs, two Sue's wrote, two Joe wrote, and then one that was more of a collaborative uh, process. Um, sort of got them recorded and decided, hey, it would be fun if like we you know, played these songs at least once live. Um, so we put together a little bit of a house party around um, releasing our, uh, the, that EP and then sort of uh, had so much fun playing that show that we decided to uh, just keep doing it and have it be our main musical project. That was around uh, 20, summer 2015, yeah. Good stuff. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Um, we uh, talked briefly off the air about the gear that you're using in Bridal Party. Uh, you play a fairly unique bass that you kind of found by happenstance. Uh, tell us about that. Uh, yeah, so there was a while after I graduated where I was actually uh, living, living in Japan, and uh, at one point I was uh, up in Tokyo hanging around pawn shops in Koreatown, and I found uh, this weird five-string fretless bass um, made by, um, I believe it's Rodriguez Gresgo, who um, he used to be the head of the Ibanez Custom Shop in the early 90s. And yeah, he wanted to leave Ibanez and create his own guitar company. So he made these uh, five prototype guitars. One was like a crazy seven string, um, made a regular six string, a four string bass, and like this fretless five string bass. And somehow it made its way from Florida to Tokyo. Um, and I just happened to find it in a pawn shop and couldn't not pick it up once I sort of realized what it was. Yeah, because you also probably you probably saved a decent amount of money picking that up <laughs> in a pawn shop in Tokyo. Yeah, totally. I mean, who knows what the thing's actually worth. I think I paid about a thousand bucks for it after exchange, which is for, you know, a handmade custom instrument, a really good price. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you looked up what one of those, one of his other guitars or basses would have gone for? Uh, I've tried to find it, um, sales for his other ones, but I've never, uh, haven't found any record of them oh, selling. Wow. So, wow. So, hmm. That's a rare find. That's a cool find too. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, where have I been? Oh, um, besides obviously, you know, working on your own stuff with, uh, with Bridal Party, uh, what have been some of the most rewarding releases that you've worked on so far? Um, well, I mean, the biggest release that uh, I've probably done where all of the work was mine was the uh, Hot Days release from, uh, yeah, summer 2015 with Bridal Party. Um, most of what I've been doing other than producing um, that band has sort of been, like, c consulting uh, with 
other bands in Victoria. It sounds like really uh, formal and fancy business stuff, but really, uh, I guess there's a lot of people who, um, I don't know, respect my ear when it comes to like what is and isn't a good mix. And so, um, you know, whenever my friends are working on projects, they'll come to me and say like, how, like, what can I change? How can I EQ this? How can I um, change this project so it sounds um, better, basically? And so working with um, Bright Boy and um, Hans Mole, um, I helped master their work as well as um, went back and forth for a couple months with both of them about mixes and stuff to make sure that their final products could be as good as it possibly could be. And uh, I mean, I think they're like everyone else these days which is like we want to do it ourselves we want to be in control and so just bringing someone on to mix your album at the end is kind of falling out because a lot of the creative process happens while you're mixing and if you're a, a solo artist you kind of want to keep control of that but still get something good at the end mm -hmm. so uh in in your capacity being a consultant is kind of a good go-between for some of these artists where they that they're still you know, and control the reins when it comes to the final product, but they at least have a kind of third-party perspective? Yeah, exactly. And the third-party perspective is super important whenever you're working on your own stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if I'm um, engineering something and it's a band that I'm not uh, super connected to, it's really easy to just be objective about it and make... Um, calls of how to like cut things or change a part to make it um, better but uh, I say using Bridal Party as an example these are all songs that we're recording that we play live and you kind of uh, get attached to what it sounds like live and if something's really complex becomes muddy because you wrote the parts you can kind of still hear it and lose that it's getting out of control mm -hmm. Um, and so when, whenever we're in the studio working, I always like to uh, bring in um, another engineer or another producer to be with us and sort of be this outside um, perspective that isn't as intimate with our songs and can say, like, look, we got to change that guitar part or, like, this note's clashing here because you sort of you lose that when you are so personally connected to it. And so um, I really like being that person for uh, other bands and other projects yeah for sure it sounds sounds pretty fun and uh rewarding um we've mentioned the Bandcamp music sharing site a few times on the show i'm personally a huge fan of Bandcamp myself as i feel it lends small to mid-sized bands and artists the freedom to you know disseminate their music and turn a profit a modest profit uh, from their music and their merch in a very direct fan-centric fashion. Uh, how'd you get connected with the team at Bandcamp, and what has your experience been like working for them? Um, yeah, working at Bandcamp's been amazing. Um, it's a small company. When I started, I think there was like maybe 24 employees. Um, that was, yeah, around 2015. At that, They started 2008. Um, how I got connected to them is kind of an interesting story. Um, there, uh, one of my professors actually met the head of engineering of Bandcamp on uh, this, the um, ferry that goes down to Seattle. Um, 
And they were chatting and realized that, you know, they both knew the same people from San Francisco and Stanford and all that and were just amazed that they had never met. And, uh, yeah, my, uh, the head of engineering was said to my professor, like, hey, like, we're looking to hire soon. Do you have any students that you would recommend? And he's like, oh, yeah, I have a student that I'd recommend. And he gave them my name and we started chatting. And that was sort of the initial how I got connected with Bandcamp. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, keep up the good work, I guess. I think Bandcamp's, uh, yeah, I really like what they're doing. Uh, happy to see kind of like a, something that, that resolves a lot of the problems attached to music, the bigger music sharing sites like Spotify and Apple Music because obviously compensation's an issue there. Yeah. Um, for us in uh, Brattle Party, it's been wonderful. Like, we've probably paid for like three or four weeks of studio time with money that we've made through Bandcamp exclusively, which is um, amazing to, you know, be able to cover that stuff. and Definitely. Well, and just being able to share like you know, merch deals and stuff like that directly through the website is just so handy. Like, you don't even need a store for your own website. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there are a number of excellent bands in Victoria, including, of course, Bridal Party, Peach Pyramid, Ruby Corinto, and previous Pacific Sound radio guests, Smash Boom Pow. They're started in Vancouver, but they've moved to Victoria, so I'll count them. Uh, what do you think makes the Vancouver music scene unique from the Vancouver music scene? Uh, Victoria music scene? Yeah. Um, the thing that's wonderful about Victoria is um, everyone knows each other, and there is a lot of cross-pollination between bands, because uh, like just as a simple example, our drummer also plays drums in Peach Pyramid, um, who you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, there's like, you know, a couple central houses where, you know, musicians live and pass through. And um, like, that's even how we got members for our band was like this big music house. And um, there was always people in and out. And eventually you sort of like settle on like the group of musicians that are going to be this project. Um, yeah, it's just uh, very, very welcoming, easy to find. smaller scale but it's more intimate in that way yeah well it was like i was talking earlier about um abbotsford being kind of similar where yeah, there's a, a great music community a great art community there and y you know it's uh a, a bit of a weird place and i think banding together with people that you really connect with is important to to being a young person um out there yeah absolutely um, so what are some of the future projects that you have lined up? Uh, yeah, so currently with Bridal Party, we're um, working on our first full-length release. Uh, this has definitely been our longest recording project. Um, our first EP was done in about a month on weekends. Um, our second EP was recorded in three days um, at Tugboat Studios in Vancouver um, by our friend Connor Head. Um, and then the one that we're working on now, we started last September. Um, we've been in Infinity Studios in Victoria probably four or five times now tracking for that. And our, uh, our last tracking session is uh, scheduled for September. And so hopefully 
after that it'll just be mixing and producing but you know you never know you mm -hmm. might need new stuff um, and uh, in August I'm working with uh, Victoria band Blackwood Kings to start um, on their full length um, and then I'm working with uh, Vancouver musician Tim the Mute um, we're planning on doing some maybe a live album or something like that in the near future good stuff sounds like you're a busy man which is great uh, how can people follow you and keep up to date with your work and with Bridal Party? Um, I would definitely say the best place to follow me right now is to uh, just follow Bridal Party. Um, we got Instagram. I don't know what our tag is. We got Facebook. Pro probably at Bridal Party. That's my thought. No, it's no? like Bridesmaids or something. Huh. We haven't consolidated yet. It's uh, uh, in the works. Um but yeah, Facebook is probably the easiest way. Just search Bridal Party Band. Google Bridal Party Band. You'll find it on Bandcamp. Um, but there's Spotify there too. Um, yeah, uh, I do need to set up some kind of like social media presence for myself, but I haven't, haven't done it yet. Fair enough. Well, thank you, Lee. This has been a really interesting chat. Cool. Yeah, it was great chatting with you. Glad to be here. Please welcome Crystal Dos Santos. Yeah. Thank you. Hi. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> really good. How are you? Oh, it's can't complain. It's a nice Sunday. It's kind of a nice day out. Yeah. yeah I it's like a little it. cloudy, but it isn't too hot, which is that's fair. <laughs> fair is nice. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, I guess uh, we'll do some bio stuff. Uh, How did you get your start as a singer and as a performer? How much time do we have? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, we got uh, at least an hour or so. <laughs> I always loved music and stuff. My dad has always been like a super awesome influence for having really great music in the house. But I didn't start singing till I was about 17. Um, I was doing a bunch of things at school, and then I stopped doing cheerleading and I had a space in my social calendar <laughs> and uh, so I said to my mom I'm like can I do some singing and she found some lessons and I really loved it and from there it just kept snowballing and I went to performing arts college uh, a couple years after I started singing at 17 and then just kept falling in love with musical theater with jazz with soul and once I found that like kind of gritty bluesy soul sound I was like just like this is it for me like I just I'm addicted and uh, who were some of those artists that really, you were like, this is what I want to do in terms of oh, yeah. singing? Uh, Stevie Wonder, Etta James, Nina Simone. Like, those are the classic ones. And then, of course, like, the more modern ones, I'd say. You know, like, I grew up in my prime in the late 90s, early 2000s. So, like, Alicia Keys and, you know, all of those kind of people who are still around, still making mm -hmm. really solid music. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, I could name a million influences, so I won't, I won't. You uh, I was gonna say, uh, <laughs> any Amy Winehouse? Oh hell yeah! Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. And uh, since we, since well, I, I kind of brought up Amy, but you mentioned Nina and Amy, both amazing documentaries on both of those right individuals. Exactly. Heartbreaking, but amazing. So tortured. They're both yes. such tortured humans. You know, it's it's quite amazing what an artist, you know, goes through or where creativity comes from or you know what i mean it's just a very interesting thing i'm glad yeah. i'm not quite that tortured i'm yeah. not that talented but it's, i'm not that tortured either <laughs> being tortured isn't a necessary pre prerequisite but some of the most damaged people seem to make some of the best art yeah but, yeah uh, it's an interesting dynamic mm -hmm. thought about that a lot mm -hmm. uh when it comes to songwriting and performing have you had any uh mentors along the way 
mentors, like actual people to show me the way. Yeah, you know, you know people you've worked with. They're really like I feel like I feel like anybody that I come in contact to with teaches me something. And a lot of the guys that I've played with in Edmonton, because I started in Edmonton, um, are a bit older and they've got, you know, they're university professors for like 30 years or they played in New York for a long time. And so I feel like a lot of my band members tend to sort of mentor me along the way, teach me a lot of stuff, guide me, encourage me. Um, and of course, here I came and I'm playing with a whole bunch of younger people and you learn a lot from the younger generation of people as well, you know? So I think like anybody that I come across really mentors me quite strongly, but in terms of a specific singing teacher, my very first singing teacher was so impactful that made, and she made me fall in love with the, with the art of singing and stuff that I think, you know, I can't say I've had one person that's followed me throughout my whole career other than maybe like my mom. <laughs> but yeah, I think like anybody that I come in contact to that I build a relationship with musically has always given me something. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, what inspired you to start writing your own music? Because obviously there were the, you figured out your style, but then what made you take the leap from, okay, I'm going to like do everything when it comes to yeah, you know, I guess creating. It's, it's kind of a weird story. Like I did the whole thing backwards. Most people like perform for a long time and figure out what they want. But Edmonton and Saskatchewan had this grant happening after I got back from going to England after performing arts college. I was about 23, I think. And I came home to Edmonton and I was working at a casino. And this uh, guy was like... Um, they came in to play music. They never ended up getting hired, but they were like, we have this grant, and would you like to do it? And we can help you make an album. And I'm like, uh, sure. So I got $10,000. I got $10,000, made an album before I ever performed live ever. Mm. And uh, I did the whole thing completely backwards. And I wrote and recorded first. And I, in Edmonton at the time, I flew to Vancouver and wrote with some people at Hip Joint a guy named Phil Lehman, and we did my whole first album together. And so I think I just, I didn't know what the real process was. <laughs> so I just sort of was like, okay, let's do it. Like a, this complete blind, like naive ambition. And I think that's how I started writing music. And, and that was your first? That was my first wow. record, yeah. okay, <laughs> so you're like, okay, album. Yeah. Okay, I gotta write one. It was the most charmed, like, like blissful, pocket that never could be repeated for me ever again everything got way harder after that <laughs> yeah just in terms of uh i mean harder like just just uh, realistic more pressure or well just you know like nothing happens quite that easy you know oh, like true. i feel like everything was really handed to me back then at that time and i just went with it and then when the second album and the third album came, it was just like, oh, things weren't as easy as the first time how come i'm not getting money just handed it to me you know so not sure how it all worked out so uh, charmed back then, but I feel really lucky to have even gotten that, you know, uh, entrance into the biz, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a, it's almost like a, a Disney sort of. Yeah. Like, here, here you go. Here yeah. you go, kid. Here's your dream. Try it out. <laughs> yeah. Let's see what you got. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. One thing that I noticed uh, listening to the two albums that you have available on Spotify right now is your mm -hmm. sound is a combination of both, you know, old school soul and some more modern electronic elements. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you develop this approach, and do you feel it lends some more room for you to experiment with your music? Yeah, I think like just kind of 
doing what feels right at the time is the best way to express yourself. I'm having the hardest time ever trying to narrow down like a focus for this fourth album. Uh, I'm writing songs like crazy, but you know, it's everything from like a sort of blues rocky thing to like bloom to uh, like an electronic dance song. So <laughs> um, I think that it's both a positive and a negative. Like, you know, I really want a cohesive product, but uh, when it comes to my old proje uh, projects, I think the first one was like, you know, just very purely from my heart because it was such a, an honest and brand new, fresh kind of expression of myself. The second one uh, wasn't even necessarily meant to be a Crystal DeSantos record as opposed to just like, um, you know, this very interesting comic-y um, side project, but um, some of the songs really worked to, to kind of put into the live rotation of things coming home like you played before and mm -hmm. things like that. Um, really, that was just such a creative expression for me. I did it with a friend in Edmonton. Uh, his name's Kaz Mega, and we just spent like a long time, hours and hours, years, you know, just sort of concocting this character named Unit 9 and um, really expressing music at that time that way. And a lot of people were doing it. I think we were really influenced by Janelle Monet's very first EP, um, and a lot of other people at the time, I think Christine Galera and the Black Eyed Peas, and a lot of people went on to that cyborg, you know, kind of uh, trend at the time. I think it was like 2010, maybe, 2009, 2010. And so we just really jumped on that and, uh, yeah, had fun with it. Yeah, um, and the, I guess the record that you're referencing is uh, Fame Fatale. Yeah. Now that's a that's concept record with a very dystopian sci-fi angle. Um, yeah. Now, uh, did you come up with the story yourself, or is that in development with your collaborator? Yeah, we totally came up with it together, but um, I was like, what do you think about this? He's like, that sounds like the coolest thing ever, and we drafted up like even like a sample comic, because we really wanted to like take this thing really far with this character, and uh, I'm, I, neither of us have since given up on it but you know seven years go by and mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you kind of you know, prioritize other things but yeah yeah mm -hmm. i, I kind of know from experience because i've tr uh, me and a friend of mine also named james we've had this idea for a, a sci-fi dystopian sci-fi comic right that right? it's you know we've i think we've written the script for one chapter <laughs> so it's hard it's, it's very it's, it's really hard it's just not easy yeah. coordinating schedules and also just like staying focused to write a script with another person yeah it's yeah. it's not an easy task i was listening to an interview with uh lynn manuel i forget his last name he's the creator of hamilton he took seven years to create that and do all the rhymes and the rap and all the things you know hamilton the musical on broadway mm -hmm. um you know it takes a long time to develop stuff this one obviously i've just put on the back burner it's not in development or anything but yeah it's it's creativity is not always a spark that turns into a flame. <laughs> well, it's it's not that easy. No, it's, it's not that. Easy. Sometimes it's work. Yeah. Some of it's literally just like yeah, you grind at it. Yeah, exactly. And you hope you have your end goal, and you hope you can get there. Yeah. So yeah, but you got to just do the work, yeah. right? You got to do it. I'm kind of in the same boat. It's like I haven't given up on the project, but I just haven't had time to work on it. Yeah. Just like I really like to, but. Yeah, maybe I'll just do some, at least some art to accompany it. But Do dang. something every day. Yeah, Or like exactly. once a week. You got to make appointments for it or something. Yeah. 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 Fit it in the schedule somehow. Yes, <laughs> it's like, absolutely. You must art now. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. But no, I've done that same thing with songwriting as of late because I had some wicked writer's block for years. And I was like, okay, if I just do 
then something will come of it. If yeah. it's crap, who cares? Put it on the back burner, whatever. Throw yeah. it on the garbage. But yeah. like, you just have to do. Period. Right. That's I've heard. There's oh, some famous writer. I'll just this is a stock quote, but I think there was some some accomplished person said a writer should just write, and then you'll eventually get something out of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, kind of on that. Uh, over the course of three, now almost four albums, have you taken a consistent approach to your songwriting, or has every song been written a little bit differently? Hmm. Uh, as of late, I'm trying to f- like have some sort of formula um, just to make things faster and easier. But like honestly, uh, weird songs and ideas come to me like while I'm falling asleep or in the midst of waking up in that bizarre little like almost awake, lucid-ish kind of time like place like orchestras are happening in my head and i'm like yeah 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 and i wake up and you're like la 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 and you're like that did not sound like it did in my head five minutes ago but now i'm trying to you know i've gone to some songwriting camps and things and like you find your theme you make your chorus first whatever but like every song i've written has come out differently in one way or another you know whether it's like this one happened in 10 minutes because it was just so inspired and it just all like flooded out to days and days to edits and edits to you know, however long. So, but uh, now I try and write down in like a, like sit down in like a four hour time frame, make sure that something happens during that time, whether mm-hmm. it's a verse and a chorus, and then you can always come back to it, right? Turn the phone off and just exactly <laughs> just focus. Yeah. Do the work. Yeah. Do the work. Yeah. Um, with your latest record, or even with any of your previous ones, have you had the opportunity to collaborate with other songwriters to develop your material? Yeah, the first album was completely co-written with Phil Lehman. The second album, um, I would say that a lot of the co-writes happened more in like that hip-hop formula, you know, where there's like a beat made, and then I kind of did some stuff on top, and the story was developed with um, with Kaz Mega. Um, for the other albums and records, I, like I don't play an instrument, actually, so I always have to be kind of collaborating in some way or another, but I've been really enjoying the collaborative process of of the poetic poetic side of it right because it's so easy to like love and be precious with your own work and then to have to just sort of um i think that i think the technical and horrible creative term is kill the baby (laughs) you know like you have to sometimes just like throw out the thing that you think is so great because in the perspective of more people, like a trio of writers is really cool because you're not like stuck in the two, but like three people can always come up with something great. And so I've been really enjoying it. I'm always a collaborator. I think that's some of the best stuff comes out of collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, When it comes to that, have you had the opportunity to collaborate with uh, band members that you've played with? A little bit, yeah. Like that last song, Bloom, was written with uh, my current piano player, Johnny Tobin. Um, so that's been really great. We've been writing a lot of songs with him. Um, Mike and I get together and jam all the time. Um, we have yet to come up with a successful final pro- product of a song, though. No. What's wrong it's with you, Mike? Working. Come on, Mike. Uh, but exactly. We need that third person in there. Um, but yeah, a couple of band members have definitely um, contributed. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has the process been like recording your latest record and uh, have you approached it in a different fashion from your past releases? Definitely. Every project has been so different. Like the first one, I went into the studio in 10 days. We had these like epic 12 hour days where we would write and record that day. And then I went away and the production got finished. Second album was like long time development. 
one person. We were just you know creatively incubating that project. This time, I'm writing with lo- dozens of different people, bringing the stuff together and trying to find the right sort of combination. Um, I've got I've got a bit of studio time booked, but I'm certainly not doing it the same way as I did before, where it's just like banging it all out at one studio session with one producer. I'm trying to work with a couple of different producers this time. So me and Ryan Worsley are going to be doing a few songs. Uh, he works with like Matthew V and Sophia Denai and a few other really awesome people who uh, have some radio popularity and things. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I've researched a ton more, but um, yeah, I'll have some sessions. Like I'll, I'll write with Dan Klenner and, and I'll do some other things coming up, but I haven't recorded anything as of yet final for this project. Oh, okay. It's in the works. In the works, very much in the works. Yes, yes. Have you, I guess when it comes to picking, you know, because you're working with a few different producers, is it really song by song basis, I imagine? Yeah, song by song or like a couple of songs at a time. So you have some sort of flow or cohesion between like two or three, you know. Um, so yeah, I think I think it'd be nice to kind of like, you know, pair it up like that and, and uh, get everybody to have every producer to have a little more than just one song, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only economically does it work better that way, yeah. but like, I think like, you know, just, uh, cohesively for the, for the sound, it works nicer that way. Uh, and, uh, who, uh, sorry, you, you didn't mention them, but I just want to get the full list out. So producer wise, who you're working with for the latest record and, uh, which, um, players uh is it both bands just one band yeah that has yet to be sort of fully determined actually uh ryan worsley is one of the producers for sure um and then potentially dan klenner gosh it could be it could be a number of people i'm still really in that process of deciding and and finding the the right fit to create the sound to bring the songs alive right because like the producer has to love what they're creating because like they're they're half of almost half of the creative process of it all right um they have to be engaged with it in some way exactly exactly they've got to be inspired to put their <laughs> magic on it if they're like this is shit then well, or <laughs> am even, i allowed to say shit sorry oh uh, yeah no you, you can okay. no, we're, we're not on uh we're not on uh cbc or anything yeah. <laughs> like that um or even worse you don't want someone behind the behind the console just like completely indifference, like yeah, whatever. Exactly. You could do another take if you want. Uh, yeah. Once lunch. <laughs> I've had that before, and it's just terrible. Oh it's yeah. So uninspiring and just like you know. Like hostility the whole would thing. be better because at it, least it's engagement. There's like, some kind what? of yeah, yeah. What's your problem? Exactly. So you know, like I just want to <laughs> take my time and create the perfect project this time. Nothing's perfect, but perfect for now. Yeah. Yeah. As good as you want to be happy with what you put out. Yeah, exactly. And in terms of the band input and playing, absolutely. I think all the players um, will have some kind of uh, inclusion in in one way or another. Um, I sang a song that I wrote called Worthy in Edmonton. It's it's hopefully going to be on the project as well. And we did it at a fundraiser, and a bunch of these incredible singers from Edmonton uh, sang backing vocal on it. Um, And they blew me out of the water. I was like crying at my own song on stage while everyone else was singing the backing vocals. And I was like, okay, you guys have to be the singers. So I think I really want to just include everybody. Do you know what I mean? In one way or another. And if that's just a, a short session of like bringing them to a studio in Edmonton and singing, where are they in the background? then that'd be great. <laughs> it's like a, we are the world, but exactly a better song. Edmonton edition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
uh, we've kind of alluded to this a little bit uh, on the program, but you play with the Lovemakers in Vancouver mm -hmm. and with the Black Mambas in Edmonton. Yeah. What sets the two acts apart, and do you play different material with each of these bands? Interestingly, a little bit different material, and I, I can only really say that because, like, that's the reason for that, I should say, is because, like... I think I was having different influences and we were playing like a blues bar regularly in Edmonton or we're doing specific kinds of shows in Edmonton where here it's like a lot of corporate stuff or for Harlem Moon we get to choose whatever theme we want every month so the material changes just a little bit but then there's absolutely consistency throughout all of it like you know we'll do the same Etta James songs or like the Beatles come together covers or whatever. And then of course my originals and, but I mean, everybody, because it's just different people, it sounds different, you know, like mm -hmm. my guitarist here, who you've heard already is like a bit more, uh, he has a bit more influence from like Celtic and he has a bit more influence from rock and he's got a bit more influence from country and like all of that stuff. And he's playing R and B and soul through that where my guy in Edmonton is a bit more jazzy and plays more bossa nova and does, you know, so like that's always going to influence the sound. Um, so yeah, both bands sound slightly different, but pretty much the same. Because they're still really playing your songs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Uh, corporate events. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I know that it's like, it's a thing that's rarely talked about. Yeah. Like, tons oh, of God, bands do it. the inside scoop. <laughs> well, um, not tons, but a number of them. I'm revealing like you just had a puppy secrets. walk past. Yeah, I'm dying. Oh my god! So <laughs> I was sleeping. He was sleeping. Okay, sorry. I'll calm down. It's Back to work. Puppy. Back to work, Crystal. Yeah. Corporate events. Mm. Corporate events. Yeah, I mean sometimes they're so dope and really really cool. Like we played uh, like a poolside corporate party for a gold company. Sweet. On, on Friday. Was it was it Gold Core? Yeah. There it you is, go. Yeah, it was actually. <laughs> I I love the name of that company. I'm just like, oh, I want wonder what they trade. Yeah, oh, yeah <laughs> it's yeah. gold, guys. <laughs> um, and then yesterday we were in Whistler playing for Ford, um, and there was like a bunch of bands playing, and I think they even had like surprise guests, Colin James and Glass Tiger. Wow. Don't forget me. You don't have to pay the royalties for that. I won't sing the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, that song, you know, like uh, there's some cool corporate things that really come. Uh, and that's my full time job. Like that's my job. And then I have to separate the artistry from that, which is so hard when it's all sort of similarish. <laughs> yeah. You know, like sort of saying you have to do this songwriting and this is your artistry right now. But go and get paid by playing four hours worth of covers, you know. <laughs> So, so is it exclusively covers, or do you have any sort of wiggle room to throw in some originals? I mean, ultimately, you are elevator music, so you mm. totally can throw in originals, absolutely, which is really great. And, like, you know, you'll so can bump from that and <laughs> all that good stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really wonderful at, at those things. Even weddings, sometimes people are like, we would love for you to play your own music if you if you so wish, right? So Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I one of the weirder uh, uh, one of the weirder corporate event bands that I heard performed was uh, Five Alarm Funk. Yeah, which I imagine's like I love that band. Yeah, but I imagine it might have been might have caught a few people off guard. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too crazy. Shattered my martini glass. Exactly right. 
Um, you have had the opportunity to tour all over Canada, and you've performed at events like the International Jazz Festival and the Honey Jam Showcase in Toronto. What yeah. have been some of the more memorable moments for you on the road? Oh, gosh. Um, my very first tour in 2000 and I want to say nine uh, was through BC, which was really cool. I got a song placed on a TV show on ABC and took that money and took my band on tour, which was super fun. We made zero dollars. I spent all of the money. It was the most fun road trip. And hey, that's a successful tour, right? I think so. Yeah. I really do. It was so fun. And that same tour, like I got a phone call saying you're nominated for a Western Canadian Music Award and like all these things. Like, again, it was that charmed moment, like 2008, 2009. We're like the most charmed times 10 years later I'm like I'm still schlepping it as a musician guys um but yeah I think that was a super memorable one because that was my first one you know and Toronto's always an amazing time I find that it's just like a magical fun awesome you know place to be and there's just so many like-minded people and so much things and cool stuff happening I feel like anywhere you go though you know it's just up to you to find the magic but um in 2000 and 13 I went on a little like I called it my walkabout and I went throughout eastern and, and southern United States to just sort of get inspired and I went through like Philadelphia and New York and Boston and Chicago and like all the places and it was amazing like I learned so much I was so humbled but also celebrated at the same time I walked into a blues bar in Chicago and they were like you're amazing come sing with us tomorrow and again and again you know so like I find that like the more you just go and be humble and collaborate, the more fun you can have in those experiences, you know? So yeah, it was pretty sweet. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, who are some of the bands and artists that you've had the opportunity to play with? Oh, uh, uh. <laughs> short list if possible. Uh, Stevie wonder. <laughs> I sang on stage with him like what? three years ago What at his concert in Seattle. <sighs> And it wasn't planned, and it was, like, the most unbelievable experience. I'm sitting in the audience on the floor, paid hella so much for the tickets, and, and I'm having the time of my life. I'm, ha I'm watching MF Stevie Wonder on stage, right? And then he says, you know, musicians, we love to jam. If there's anybody out, if there's any singers out there, and I heard the word singer, I stood up, who like to jam and want to come and jam with us, come on up on the stage right now. And I'm like, did we hear right? I turned to my friend, did we hear right? And she goes, Crystal, go, go, go. And she literally practically like grabbed me and threw me <laughs> into the aisle. Nobody else had even stood up at that point. I was like, did I hear him say this right? So I start running and again, nobody else is moving. So I'm like, the security's gonna come and tackle me anytime. <laughs> I look like an idiot. And then I get to the front, nobody else has even tried to reach that. And they were like, you come on up, let's go. And they handed me the mic, can you sing? yeah I guess I can sing they're like no really sometimes people can't sing can you sing <laughs> I was like yes I can sing so he goes go sit with Stevie I'm like it's that easy I'm sitting beside Stevie Wonder so yeah he was like flirty as ever and amazing and we jammed and it wasn't a song it was just more of like a repeat after me kind of like but up kind of thing so a scat a, sort of a thingy. scat it was a scat jam yeah um and then uh and it's on the clips on YouTube it's amazing. It's on my website. I think my husband put it up. Because <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't want to show anybody. Um, He's like, my wife was a Stevie Wonder. Oh, my God. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, and then they invited me backstage. And I literally like walked around arm in arm backstage with Stevie Wonder for like 45 minutes. It was unbelievable. That's 
really cool. It was literally the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. I couldn't. That I'm, I'm, I've peaked. It's all downhill from here. Yeah. My cousin had the opportunity to play on stage with uh, Trailer Park Boys. Oh. Pem- the Not the last Pemberton, but the one beforehand. Oh, my God. How was that? Oh, it was amazing. Just, like, seeing the video. I'm like, that's Unreal. my cousin. <laughs> he was, I think he was playing, because uh, they have some song numbers that Bubbles sings. I think he was doing a, uh, he was shredding over liquor and whores is the name <laughs> of the song. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's super cool. Yeah, so yeah. anybody else that I could even tell you about is probably insignificant yeah, that's, compared that's to Stevie Wonder. That's pretty <laughs> much the top. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, that was good. Yeah. Yeah, it was, no it was way. fun. Yeah. So besides performing, you also host a showcase uh, called Underneath the Harlem Moon at Gilton Co. How long have you been putting on this event and what is the show all about? It's been going on for about four years now, I think. Um, four, four and a half, almost there probably. Um it is basically, let's go back to the Stevie Wonder jam thing. Singers can't jam. That's just not a thing that I think singers can do. Uh, from other singers, they tell you me the same. You can't really do a solo. Right? <laughs> exactly. You know, it's just not the same. So this is the closest thing that I've created for singers to be uh, spotlighted, showcased, highlighted in a way. Like, obviously, they're always kind of the front man of a band. But this mm-hmm. is a way for, like... You know, somebody who doesn't play an instrument or isn't in a band or, you know, uh, it all started actually when I did Dream Girls in 2013 at the Arts Club. And I noticed that out of 17 people in a cast, there was maybe, you know, four people in the show who were getting major coverage singing. And I was like, everybody's so talented. We got to bring them to do this show. So I started with a Dream Girls cabaret and then it, it kind of turned into the Underneath the Harlem Moon cabaret. So I guess... Uh that's cool that you were in uh, uh, Dreamgirls. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of the movie adaptation? I actually loved it. I loved it. Like, yeah. I thought, you know, Jennifer Hudson's like a powerhouse. I thought Beyonce did a great job, too, but Jennifer Hudson was easily the star of that show. Wow. She's kind yeah. of the main character as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I, th- I thought it was interesting that, especially Beyonce's inclusion and the way the story's written, mm-hmm. it's like, hmm, this sounds familiar to another singing group that Beyonce was in. <laughs> was in. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> I feel like it's like the, the age-old story of the girl band, you know, kind of thing. There's but always one. There's you know, always one. Aretha Franklin. Yeah. I can't name enough of them, unfortunately, but yeah. it, there's always one that gets more of a spotlight Absolutely. than the rest. Absolutely. Exactly. But I guess like you can even think about that with uh, uh, Beatles is a good example. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Any I mean, kind of band. Paul's had the most successful career, but he's also outlived <laughs> half the band. <laughs> All so. of them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But. Um, yeah, that's cool. Uh, with the yeah. uh, cabaret, I guess, it was it all just songs from the musical that you performed? No, it was like an opportunity for everybody to do whatever their sort of like highlight was for them. Like, I, we still play with this guy, Garfield uh, Wilson, and he actually, I was in Europe last week, and the cab, last cabaret was last week. And he came with Tiffany Rivera and Marie Huey, and they just took over the whole thing and you know they he he really loves singing like um michael jackson and he's killer at it or prince or any of those kind of songs so at that first cabaret it was just everybody singing in their wheelhouse you know the songs that they could best do and that's what i always tell the singers that i invite i say you know they're like what's the theme or what should we do and i said do what you shine in you know this is your opportunity to just be in the spotlight so do you uh, kind of on that? Do you find that uh, a lot of the singers usually just like you know pick songs from a bunch of artists that they like and just kind of perform like their own curated cover sets? 
Uh, well, we actually have the built-in band. The Lovemakers are the house band for the Underneath and Heart of the Moon Cabaret. So we learn the songs that whatever the singers choose. Mm. Um, sometimes, you know, they need inspiration, and I'll give them my list. And I've got like 400-plus songs on that list that they can choose from. Um, Keeps getting longer, not shorter. Exactly. Um, and, yeah, sometimes, you know, if, if one person comes, then I sort of almost create the theme around them. Or sometimes I'm like, you know, I really feel like doing a reggae night, you know, or whatever it is. Um, so I think, I think this last one that I wasn't at was an 80s theme. Uh, what have we done before? We've done, like, classic soul. We've done, like, a neo-soul night. We've done... Just everything, tons of things, yeah, yeah, like a Caribbean infusion night, like whatever is kind of inspiring me at the moment, I just sort of, I'm like, you know what, I really want to flesh out a whole show of this kind of music, so. Just Stevie Wonder Tribute, right? We had a Stevie Wonder Tribute, exactly. What have been some of the other tribute nights? Because I know there's like tons of artists that you can pick from. Totally, right? Do you do a Bowie one? We haven't, Mm. but we should. Should. I'd love to do Prince. Oh, yeah, Prince. Yeah, we did MJ. We MJ? did MJ yeah. night. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many. Like we did, I think we did like a Queens of Soul night where it's just like you know, Aretha, <laughs> Shaka Khan, like all the all the major like you know divas. Um, you need a you yeah. need a Parliament night. A which night? A Parliament Funk. Yeah. Oh shoot, that would be fantastic. <laughs> oh my god, you guys ready to put that work in? <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe leave. Maybe leave Maggot Brain off the list. Yeah. That song's literally just a guitar solo. I mean, it's amazing. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. good for vocalists. That's a whole record, though, right? Maggot Brain? Yeah, but the, the, the title the title track's the first song on the yeah. on the album. George Clinton has this amazing spoken word intro about uh, Mother Earth being pregnant or something yeah. like that and just cosmic nonsense because he's George Clinton. He can say whatever he wants. Uh, and then it goes into, like, the 10-minute guitar solo. It's amazing. Uh, and I, the story I heard was George Clinton, this is kind of really mean, but it was really effective. George Clinton told the guitarist that his mother had died and he's like, okay, we'll play because your mother just died. What? And he was, you know, he was playing, but he was like super emotional. The whole time. Yeah, totally. Which, which will elicit the best kind of performance, yeah. but mean, <laughs> you know, but. Yeah, Parliament Night, I think, would be... Oh, God, that'd be unreal. Highly, highly recommended. Or even kind of like a... Maybe... I don't know about you. I'm not sure if you've been listening to a lot of the more contemporary ones, but I kind of feel we're almost living in kind of this golden age of modern R&B. There's a lot of Mm. of new up-and-coming artists are doing something really interesting with just all the cool production techniques that are out there. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if we could get, like some electronic elements to make that stuff sound a little cooler. But I mean, the thing is all that stuff can be replicated live and it's even cooler because, Oh, for sure. You know, because there are live people playing that drum beat or that guitar, you know, thing or that piano vibe, whatever. Yeah. And that's sometimes how I feel when I see like hip hop shows and stuff like that is that I like to see, uh, sometimes when it's just DJ rapper, hype man, and there's organic elements in the song itself. It's a little disappointing when you just hear pre-recorded stuff. I'm like, oh, True. there's a guitar on that song. I wish you had a guitarist on stage. Exactly. Don't it's... tell me you couldn't afford one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, right? Yeah. Anything, and anytime you can bring something live to the to the plate, it's like, you know, it's possible. So why aren't we doing it all the time? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Who? It's, it's, I guess it's just all part of your art form or your own expression. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really up to the artists themselves, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of my take. Um, who have been some of the more standout performers that you've had on the, on, uh, the Harlem Moon stage? Yes. Gosh, like the same three that I mentioned just now, Garfield Wilson, Tiffany Rivera, um, Marie Huey, um, Darcy Han is amazing. She's in, she's doing a lot of stuff in China right now and she's kind of killing it out there. Um, who else have we had? Uh, Emma Curry. She's the one that sang the electronic stuff, right? Like killer, right? Um, geez. Ryan Gilman from Yeah, Ryan Gilman from uh, from Mother Mother, I think, came and sang once. Ooh. And uh, who's the guy from Bedouin Sound Clash? Didn't he come and oh, sing yeah. like one song with us once? <laughs> yeah, like we just pull people on stage because we're like, you, you sing, come on up. Um, Aiden Church is like unbelievable. He's like, I think he's he's a musical theater guy, but he comes on and he just like crashes the whole place to the ground. He's so good. Um, yeah, but like lots of people have come on stage, you know, Tanya Aganaba, Don Pemberton, um, Dutch Robinson has been on our stage. Like there's been just tons cause we, I just pull everybody I can find up on that stage. So sometimes we have tap dancers like Troy McLaughlin, um, and he'll come and sing and tap and like do the whole thing. And it's just amazing. So yeah, we just encourage all kinds of creativity and collaboration. You know, I don't think I've seen... Well, maybe it's more of a musical theater thing, but I don't think I've seen singing and tap dancing simultaneously. Since, like, Donald Glover, is that his name? Or you think Childish? Childish? No, not Gambino? Childish Gambino. Okay. That's, that's Donald <laughs> I'm Glover. I'm thinking of somebody completely different from, like, the 80s who did tapping and singing. I mean, now I kind of want to see Donald, <laughs> Donald Glover trying. He probably can, that gosh darn ridiculously talented <laughs> it would, genius. It would certainly make the This Is America video even more strange. Even weirder. <laughs> You do like a marionette tap dance thing. Like, yeah, it would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. <laughs> do, do you know the the guy we're thinking of who is Childish Gambino? or? Do I? Yeah. Oh, what, yeah. What was his name? Do that's Donald Glover, isn't it? Childish Gambino is Donald Glover, yes, yeah. Yes, but I can't think of the other guy. Okay. Sorry. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> I, I'm not, not deep into I the can tap Google scene. It. I can Google it. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days we'll have a designated Googler. Yeah, we need one of those. Yes. Like the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, that's, yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah. Jamie. I need a Jamie. Yeah. I mean, my name's James, but it'd be kind of weird to have a you Jamie. Need, you need a Jamie, though. Yeah. yeah. Pull that shit up, Jamie. Yeah, exactly. Put that on a shirt. And then it's you just doing it on the side. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and uh, when is the next uh, Underneath the Harlow Moon showcase? That would be in July. Okay. Uh, we do it the first Tuesday of every month. Let me get you an exact date here. It'll be July 3rd. Yeah. Oh, it's coming up quick. Yeah. So uh, I think we have Missy Cross scheduled. Carly, I don't remember her last name. I feel really bad. But she actually used to work at Guilt, and now she's going to come and sing. And she's been watching us for years do it. And so she's like, can I come sing with you sometime? I was like, heck, yes. This is what it's all about. So, And yeah. for listeners who are you know thinking about singing and you know putting themselves out there uh how would they get in touch with you about playing a showcase about getting on stage yeah. um email me come to the show i always like when people can see the format and mm -hmm. see what they're actually getting into i ask people like it's my job which is so silly i'm like do you like singing do you want to come sing so if you want to get in touch with me then find me on facebook or go to the under underneath the harlem moon fan page on facebook and um 
Yeah, send me a message and just say I'd love to hear you sing. I, I'd love to sing with you, you know what I mean? And I'd love to hear you sing. Send me a link or something. And yeah. then we can kind of cater the night to that style, right? Because that's how... I, you know, I don't want anybody who's like super folky and amazing to be going up against the disco queen and then the whole, you know, <laughs> the whole theme of it is just, you know, terrible. So, yeah, I, I love to pair people together and then I just fill in the cracks with songs that I think, you know, fill it up and then I sing the rest of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, please. I'm always looking for more and more people to come and collaborate with us. It's so much fun. Good or if stuff. you're just there that night. And you think that, you know, you want to come and sing a song, then we always have a huge list of songs that people can come up and say, hey, you know, this sounds great. Can I come jam with you guys? Cool. Yeah. So it's like live band karaoke, but that next level. Next level kind yeah. of shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of showcases, uh, you're headlining Locals Lounge on June 17th. Yeah. Um, what else do you have coming up for this summer? Where are you playing? What are you doing? Gosh, what am I doing this summer? I'm playing at the Canada Day Festival in Surrey. Actually, oh, cool. I've got three shows on Canada Day. I hope that's not um, conflicting with any contract. <laughs> <laughs> We're playing Robson Street from 12 to 2 in front of Forever 21, I think. It'll be me and Mike, just a duo. And then the full band is going to be playing at Canada Day on, uh, I think it's the main stage. I'm not sure, but we play at 4.30 um, uh, in Surrey at... Is it Holland Park? Is that where they do it? I forget. I don't know. But Surrey Canada Day. I'm sure that's like easy to find online. Yeah, it's um, uh, usually in Cloverdale. Yeah. I'm from Surrey, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, and then we're doing a wedding that night. I've got a bunch of weddings. <laughs> doing at least six weddings that this That is summer. wedding season. It is wedding season. Um, but yeah, in terms of like really big shows, I think Canada Day is the main one. Underneath the Harlem Moon every month. I can't think of any other regular shows that i have booked right now because my brain is like you know it's still in jet lag mode i'm so sorry um but yeah we check my website check my website or bands in town both of those will formulate and populate soon enough as soon as i put them in <laughs> and you can come check me out i play at least three sucks times a week. not having your own publicist day eh? i know right yeah i really gotta hire somebody <laughs> yeah with us we just do like a team operation that's a good idea. Thankfully. I need a team. Yeah. One person. Joy's one a Facebook scheduler. Yeah. I give Hootsuite a shout out, but Hootsuite can be a little inconsistent sometimes. Oh, uh, boo. Yeah. Or who? <laughs> who? Oh, gosh. Hoot. <laughs> Hoot. Um, now, I understand, of course, as we've talked about, uh, you haven't started recording the fourth record yet, mm -hmm. uh, but what can fans expect from this one? Most teaser say, teaser trailers. I would say a little more grit, you know, like a little more of the raw, belty, whaley vocal that I love to do, but also like an enhanced sense of songwriting, you know, like a little more personal, a little more um, connected, a little deeper of a, you know, sort of story and connection to the songwriting. That's what I'm really hoping to do. Um, but yeah, some just good old classic kind of blues soul funk with a little jazzy influence in there i'd say it's a good mix that's what i'm hoping for that's what that's the goal it's a music <laughs> cocktail exactly there you go yeah um are there any bands or artists that we'd recommend we bring on the show oh gosh 
Who? Oh, um, see, again, you're catching me off guard. I, I, okay, let's see. Who do you want to bring on the show? How about Haven? Have you heard of Haven? I don't think so. She is from uh, White Rock, and her husband's name is Shaq. And I play with Shaq a lot. And actually, they were in Whistler last night as well. Is he basketball? Sorry. That <laughs> joke was just there. I had to. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think so. He's more of a, the drummer type, you know? Yeah. His hands are too delicate to, to jam a finger with a basketball. To be fair, if you had a basketball player build, that might actually to be, be to your advantage fair. as a drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not bad. He's not too short. He's shorter than you, but he's not too short. Yeah, he's like six feet. I think he can handle that. That's short for basketball. I'm going to ask him next time. <laughs> Do you play basketball, Shaq? Um, so, yes, his wife, Haven, um, is amazing. She is like kind of, I would say, like a female Drake-ish kind of thing, but not really a rapper, just like a singer, like that really cool kind of like down-tempo, urban-y kind of vibe. Like really that. cool. And she was nominated for a Western Canadian Music Award this year. So. Okay, cool. Yeah, so she's uh, very, very good. Nice. Yeah. And I have to say, I don't listen to a lot of Drake because it isn't exactly my thing, but I've liked the songs where he sings a lot more than the songs that he raps on because I Agreed. feel he's a better singer than a rapper. But. Yeah, yeah. And he's not amazing at either, but you no. don't have to be. You just have to have the right combination of the magic formula. And in his case, a really good smile. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. He's just good just, looking. Yeah. yeah. And he, he just the social media is like absolutely on point. Yeah, right. Just, it's part of it, especially uh, in rap and hip hop. It's the bane of my existence. I don't understand social media. You just gotta, it's like writing. You just gotta, you just gotta do it. You just gotta do it. I was complaining to Mike before. I'm like, I hate doing it, but I gotta do it. I'm not. A, I'm not a huge fan of it 100 percent of the time, but I see its purpose. Yeah, yeah. Every time I take a selfie, I'm like, "Ooh, who wants to see this?" No thanks. Okay, next one. <laughs> you know. So I think that's what it is. Like people don't like pictures of like a random tree. They want to see your face all the time. And frankly, I don't wear makeup that often. <laughs> so you know, only on stage. Not only yeah. on stage. I'm wearing makeup right now. So you can take a picture if you want. <laughs> You totally see it over the radio. Exactly. Uh, so Haven, that's a good one. Anyone yeah. else? Anyone else? Who else is there right now that I can think of? Um, have you had Tanya on here? I don't think so. Oh, my God. She's amazing. Have you have you had Don Pemberton on here? No. Oh, my God. She's amazing. Have you had... Who else is there right now that I can think of off the top of my head who's incredible? Sidebar, I think I went to school with Tanya. Did you? Yeah, UBC. Gosh, she's so awesome. I just die how good she is. Um, I, you know what? Let's move on to the next question. And I'm going to think of more on the, in the periphery of my mind. Okay. Yeah, this is just a, this is the plug question. Uh, yep. Where can people find your music and keep up to date on all the stuff you're up to? Well, on my website, crystaldesantos.com, which is K-R-Y-S-T-L-E-D-O-S-S-A-N-T-O-S.com. Um, Instagram, Crystal underscore DeSantos, Facebook, all the usual, the usual things. Don't expect me to update it every day, though. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, still looking for that publicist. Still looking for that publicist. Who, who, if you're out there, you can call the hotline and connect with me now. Um, yeah, check oh. out my MySpace. Pure I used volume. I have a MySpace. I totally really? did. What was yeah. the other one? There's pure volume. There's also, oh, I'm trying to remember. A bunch of other like kind of like i don't even uh, i don't remember pure volume i'm just thinking of like I'm, I'm walking through the graveyard of social media early social media sites totally right didn't, didn't yahoo have a good one 
Yahoo. I feel like Yahoo used to be pretty big. Like there used to be like Excite. Isn't wasn't MSN there? used to have something. Yeah. Like MSN Chat. Oh yeah, I remember yeah. MSN Chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big time. Live With journal. the dial up. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Jane sent me. Jane and I send each other stupid videos all the time he sent me one where it's like someone took footage of opera singers and edited in the dial-up sound <laughs> when they open their mouths it's just horrible oh man good times yeah. you had to be there youngins you know you'll never understand you what didn't we went through. miss anything yeah <laughs> it was horrible yeah, exactly. took me 10 minutes to look ten at minutes, a picture exactly for the picture just go ding, ding. yeah exactly and you'd see half of it and yeah. you're like, ah, I'm over it. It's been three hours. <laughs> I want to look at something else. Yeah. Well, thank you, Crystal. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for having us. And uh, we're gonna play you out. Well, actually, we'll let's do our outro, Travis. Then we'll play play out the rest of the show. How's that sound? It sounds okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to shout out Mike Marinick one more time because he's just been sitting here listening like a lovely, lovely guy like with that guitar lover. over there, like a love maker. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. All right. Okay. Outro? Yes. Outro, please. Thanks for listening. I'm James. And I'm Travis. Pacific Center Radio is produced by Gene Fraze. Travis, how can people check, it, check us out? Well, you can find us at our Facebook, Pacific Sound Radio, as well as our Instagram, Pacific, at Pacific Sound Radio, Twitter, Pacific S Radio, YouTube, Pacific Sound Media, as well as our website, PacificSoundRadio.com. If you know a local band or artist that you think should appear as guests on our show, let us know. Fill out the form on our website or send us an email to talkpsr at gmail.com. 